Hey everybody, Mike here with a very quick introduction before this week's show. I mentioned in October we're going to take a little hiatus and retool the show a little bit, come back with new episodes in December, which I'm excited to announce what we're going to be covering next. But in November, in order to still give you stuff to listen to, we are going to release episodes from our Patreon shows for the next two to three weeks, so you can kind of still hear stuff you haven't had a chance to hear before. This week, we are going to release our episode on Mom and Dad, where Lindsay and I sat down with Petros from the Caged In podcast to talk an absolutely batshit and fun crazy Nick Cage movie. Um, We had a real fun discussion with this one, and I think you'll really dig it. When we come back in December, we are going to be covering a two-movie franchise uh, to get us through the end of the year. And it has a little bit of tie-in to the holiday season. We are going to be covering Gremlins and Gremlins 2, which I'm super excited to talk about. We've lined up some great guests for those shows. And then in January, I am trying to think about what we're going to do. I've got a bunch of franchises lined up, but I also know that Scream 5 is coming out. And I think that we absolutely need to cover Scream 5 as we've covered the other four movies. And I'm curious to hear from you listeners. What do you think of us doing the first Scream again, revisiting Scream 1? It was our first ever episode, and it was a little bit of a weird show, because I actually, if you go back and listen to it, you kind of hear me like whispering a lot of my dialogue. It was, because fun fact, I actually had to go back and re-record all of my vocals for that show, as I didn't record them correctly the first time. So that's why it was kind of weird going back and like editing in my voice to all the little bits there. So I wonder if it's worth revisiting Scream with new guests and then uh, tackling Scream 5, which I am getting more and more excited for as it comes out. But, you know, maybe we'll do that. Maybe we won't. I'd be interested to hear from you, our listeners, to see if that's cool. What do you think? In the meantime, do me a favor. Like we have not gotten a review in a little while now, been a couple months, and uh, you know, reviews are in some ways the lifeblood of the show. It lets us know if we're on the right track or not with new folks hearing us, and it allows for a lot of new folks to find us as well. So please, if you haven't already, go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and follow us over on Twitter at Pod and Pendulum. We even have a little Facebook group. It's not super active. I'm pretty lazy with it, but if more people join, I will probably be a little bit more active with it. Yes, Sam, that's right. My cat's meowing. Anyway, you can find us over on Facebook.com slash Pod and Pendulum. That's it. Hope you enjoyed this little one from the Patreon Vault, um, or Patreon Vault, as I misspeak here. Again, it is Mom and Dad with special guest Petros from the Caged In Podcast, a podcast all about the life and work of Nicolas Cage.
Can I go to a movie with Riley tonight? With Riley? Your grandparents are coming for dinner tonight, remember? Awesome. Grandpa telling his disgusting Vietnam stories. Take my advice. Don't ever have kids. Everything just revolves around you, doesn't it? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Rush today. It's like you're waiting for a buffet. What's going on? Is that McKenna's mom? Multiple reports are now coming in of parents murdering their own children. Listen to me. We have to get out of the house before mom and dad come home. Hey patrons, welcome to this month's bonus episode where Lindsay and I tackle a movie that is kind of outside the realm of what we normally would do. It's where we tackle like one-off movies or something outside of like standard genre fare. Uh, and this month, like we just, this kind of came up casually, like we were just kind of talking about different movies and this particular movie came up in the course of I think our last patron episode and we're like, why don't we just do it? Like, let's just hop yeah. on it. So naturally we're talking happened. just naturally. We're talking 2017's Mom and Dad starring Nick Cage. Now, listeners, you know my feelings. And about Selma Blair. And Selma Blair. <laughs> oh, yeah. The reason I was I was focusing on Nick Cage. I mean, number one, <laughs> listeners, you kind of know if you go back and listen to our 50th, 50th episode uh, where we do the fan commentary on Mandy, you get a general feeling of how I feel about him. But I wanted to bring someone in that has devoted his life, his life's work is to studying the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Cage. We have here the host of the Caged In podcast. Uh, it's a podcast that started off like basically going in chronological order of the career of Nick Cage. But then as the show caught up with the man's output, expanded and evolved to look at the wider Coppola family. Uh, all in a pursuit to find out whether Nick Cage is the greatest actor of his generation and if this is the greatest film family tree of all time. Welcome from the Caged In podcast. Pat I'm Pat very Pat well, thank you. We? Thank you so much for, for having me on. I feel I feel a lot of pressure as being like a Nick Cage expert. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just an idiot who's dumb enough to, to try and figure out that question if he's the greatest actor of all time. <laughs> The the podcast has definitely got like a life of its own where I started off as a, a skeptic 
And over time, I'm definitely now an apologist. So I will like, I, I will go to bat for films where people go like, Stolen's not good. And I'll be like, no, it's, it's, it's a great action movie. <laughs> so, so tell us the genesis of this show, because this sounds like the kind of show that one would come up with friends, maybe when partaking in, you know, some substances, just like a two o'clock in the morning conversation that a kernel of an idea hits and it kind of burrows itself in. Like, what was the idea behind doing a, a Nick Cage? I think it was podcast? just the thing. I wanted to do a podcast. I love films. And then I was like, who's an actor I can look at who's got a massive body of work? that?" And I think around the time I kicked off as well, it would have been 2016, 2017. So, like, mm-hmm. it would have been, like, peak meme cage. And then it was, like, that thing of, like, Oh, he's, he's an interesting character and it kind of like, as I said, it's got this interesting thing where I started off very much like almost like down on Cage and kind of like being, like, oh, this is really funny. And then it's that thing of I've come to really appreciate like his films and like, I don't, I, 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 I hate to think like what some of those early episodes sound like because I'm probably like overly critical. <laughs> and that's funny because when you look at because you go chronological, if I remember correctly, like in your, you know, looking at Raising Arizona and, you know, a lot of the films where he's cutting his teeth, where you see like a the portrait of a young artist emerging and you see like a pretty exciting actor emerge. And for me, it is like, because I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I think I even tweeted after watching Willy Wonderland. I'm like, nobody takes a five-star <laughs> premise and turns it into a three-star movie like Nick Cage does. This is, I'm going to allow this until it's my time to not allow it anymore. So you okay. two just let me know when you made it to the end. <laughs> so I, I'm sorry. So I'm going to be, and I, I my honestly, my plan on this show is to facilitate more than to speak up a lot more, but you know, I just want to, you know, give our guests his due, man. So no, no. like so, do your thing, say what you've got to say. And then, all right. So Mum and Dad, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. Like this is one of the ones I really do enjoy. And I'm like, oh, this is why you hire Nick Cage. Uh, so Lindsay, you know, when did you first see this movie? Because you were high on doing this one as well. When did you first experience it? Yeah, this? I love this movie. Um, this is like, I actually was having a conversation this week with some friends about whether or not we're rewatchers. Like if we're people who rewatch movies that we've seen already. I was like, yeah, like I'm a rewatcher. Like if there, there are certain movies that like, if it just like hits that right, you know, if it just strikes that right chord, if it strikes my tree just right, I'm going to rewatch it all the time. And uh, mom and dad is certainly one of those for me. The first time I saw it was actually uh, its premiere at Midnight Madness at TIFF. And there are some movies like Midnight Madness. I've talked about a million times on this podcast because it's where I saw so many of these movies for the first time. But that audience is like, the best audience and there are certain movies that just like really really hit for that audience and this is one of them like if you can get cage doing something kind of funny if you can get selma blair like really like stellar actors and actresses doing over the top stuff if you can get a couple like really good kills in the audience is going to go wild for you and it was exactly that and i rewatched it all the time as a result yeah this seems like the perfect movie for that crowd like i can't imagine I can't imagine a more receptive audience and a more receptive like format, like than a, a, a genre screening at Mick, um, 
seems perfect for it. Yeah, like we talked about this on the episode for the guests and it's like the same kind of thing. It's just like this movie I do think is really similar to the guests in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um like they're not the same but they like they're not the same premise or anything but just the same kind of like tone of like that horror comedy kind of camp kind of meta. Mm-hmm. Um and similar tone in that way and it was exactly the same thing just like a wild audience to see the movie with and then <laughs> the crowd went it's- wild. It, it, it probably lends itself to that um, thing of being like that midnight movie one, like the runtime as well. Like as soon as I see like an 84 minute runtime, yeah. it's like this is a film that knows what it wants to do and it wants to get in and out. And like, I think Brian Taylor is very vocal about the fact like he knows, he, he knows it's this one premise idea. He's not trying to solve the world's problems. He's not trying to like throw in all this extra stuff. He's like, Hey, elevator pitch! All of a sudden, parents want to kill their kids. Let's just exhaust that to where it goes, and it happens to be this great slice of eighty-four minutes. Yeah. Yes. So before we talk, I do want to talk about Brian Taylor for a, a moment as well, because um, I know, like Petros, you you've spoken with him in your podcast, oh, cool. um, and he's got a pretty varied body of work. Um, so focusing on, on, I guess, Nick Cage for just a moment, I'll pose it to both of you because I think you have both have a greater appreciation for Nick Cage in genre films specifically than I do. What do you think it is about his performance or even just appearance in genre films that has allowed him to build this very loyal and it's larger than a cult following? To call it a cult following is unfair, but I think there are a certain like Nick Cage and genre films has seems to have become a subgenre in and of itself <laughs> in horror. <laughs> yeah. I think him. And I mean that in a positive way. Um, what do you think it is about his performances here that endear him to audiences so much? Um, I think he's like super underestimated. I honestly think that he's going to have, and I mean by audiences, not by um, filmmakers. Like, I think he's going to have this, like, renaissance that we're going to see, like, Keanu Reeves. Um, I was thinking about it because, uh, you know, Cage obviously just um, did Pig, which is getting him a lot of acclaim as an actor specifically. Um, And the movie itself is getting a lot of acclaim. And feel like, oh, it turns out he's a good actor. And it's like, yeah, he is. Like, go back through his filmography. He's got a very, very wicked breadth of roles. So, like, he's absolutely a stellar actor. And he made some, like, weird, bizarre choices. But, like, who's amongst us? Um... And I, I like really think that it's going to give him his like uh, John Wick moment in a way where like for years, everyone just like hated Keanu Reeves and made fun of what a bad actor he was. And now suddenly everyone pretends like that just like never happened. Like we always loved Keanu Reeves and no one was ever mean to him, which like what everyone was like, haha, didn't you see him in that in the Johnny Dracula? And you're like, he's amazing. <laughs> you just that's not anyway. I love Keanu Reeves. And I'll defend, I guess, I guess maybe I'm just like, you know, it's a sore spot. Anyway, I feel like that's what's going to happen with, uh, with uh, Nick Cage next. Like, I think he's next and we're all going to be like, oh, we always knew we loved him. We never made fun of his performance. It's like, okay. For me, it feels like his, like, (laughs) his career as a whole is like inextricably linked to, to this kind of renaissance that we're getting. And it's the kind of passion he has for like all caps acting. Do you know what I mean? Like, he isn't afraid to just act, like, show you, like, yeah. here are the strings. Like, I am almost like, 
this marionette puppet. Like this, this is what I'm doing. And I think that really lends itself to genre filmmaking. And I know he's very vocal about the fact that like stuff like the cabinet of Dr. Caligari are some of like his favorite films. And it like 1987 for me, I think is that kind of like pivotal year for, for Nick Cage. Cause I think you've got like the, the free punch of Moonstruck, Raising Arizona, and Vampire's Kiss were all filmed in that year. And it's like, it kind of gives you a uh, an idea of who Nick Cage would become. And, and I think the most, in, especially genre film, the most interesting one of those three is Vampire's Kiss. And like, I guess that teeters on the, yeah, that that's horror or horror adjacent at least. Like, and I think that very much is, I don't know. It plants the seeds of like he's he he can he can do this kind of borderline. I think you mentioned it, Lindsay. Of like it's there's comedy to it, but it's also like terrifying at the same time. And I think because he yeah is not afraid to he, I don't, he doesn't want to hide behind the character almost. He will act, and I think that's what like makes him endearing to like horror audiences. Yeah, I love the way you described it, like all caps. Um, and like, it's so true. And I think when I think about like his more recent genre stuff, like I know people didn't like Willy's Wonderland. I really did because it's like exactly what I wanted. The night that I watched it, it was exactly what I wanted. You know, like if I watch it again, I might be like, oh, Lindsay. But um, it was like the day that I watched it, it's, it just like did what I needed it to do. Um, but I kind of think of like Mandy, Color Out of Space, and this movie. I think they all came out like close-ish together, and they were kind of his like. Now he's the genre guy who like all your friends either loved one of those three movies. I do think this one got talked about the least of the three, mm-hmm. but I certainly think it used him the best of the three. Like by yeah. a landslide, I think I try to think about um, like you know the cagiest cage ever, and I think a lot of people said that about Color Out of Space. And there's like that moment in his car where he like freaks out and yells. And that to me was like a funny moment in a serious movie that just like didn't work for me. But then I think about him losing it in this movie where he's ramming at the door and he's like, open the door, you motherfuckers. And I think it is like the perfect cage moment. Like that is the cagiest cage ever. He goes completely over the top, but it works in the tone of the film. It's funny. It's scary. And it's like him. And I feel like that's a huge part of what I love about this movie is like him being the cagiest cage I've ever seen. It's funny that you make the Keanu Reeves comparison because honestly, when I was trying to put my thoughts together for this episode, that's the same performer that came up, that came to mind. Um, and I think yeah. the difference is like Nicolas Cage prior to making this ter- pivot to genre films was an extremely respected actor. I mean, he has a, he has an Oscar for best uh, best male lead in leaving Las Vegas. He's worked with Scorsese. He's worked against Cher. Um, he has this body of work where he, if he just stopped acting at the turn of the century, he would probably be considered one of the top performers of his generation. And I think as much as we love Keanu Reeves, I think we all know like as long as Keanu Reeves like stays <laughs> in his lane type of thing and it's, it can be a wider it can be a wider lane i'm not saying that it has to be like a one-way like narrow dirt bike track the guy but got I mean, his start in shakespearean stage plays so everyone's all like oh he can only do one thing like pretty well like no 
but we've seen when he like expands out that it doesn't always work in his and i'm not saying that Keanu's a piss poor actor i'm not saying that but i'm saying that if you compare the two of them i think you could say that cage would be because they're relatively close to being peers um with Reeves maybe starting a little bit later in filmography than, than Cage did, that Cage would, you could legitimately call one of the best actors of his generation. I don't think you can make that argument against Keanu Reeves. And that's not saying that he's poor or terrible, but it's just by comparison. I think they do really. Yeah, I think they they do. The comparable actor I've always drawn the line between is Nicholas Cage and Willem Dafoe. Because they 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 will they will make that tra- mm. transition between yeah high art low art kind of like whatever you blockbusters they will they will kind of do whatever and it's like they they both kind of seem like wild men and they kind of started off around the same time and yeah mm-hmm. they, I think those two they, those two are the the, the kind apt. of closest linked yeah I think that's apt. So I guess that led me to part two of this before we kind of dive more into like Brian Taylor and the movie itself is like what this is what confounds me about Nick Cage and maybe where I have my biggest issue issue with him is when I think of like the genre output of the last decade, I wonder like how much of his how much of his performances are him inhibiting inhabiting a character and playing a role versus him playing like Nick Cage the persona and how much of this is him winking at the audience versus how much of it is him doing actual work and I'd love to hear about the um I, I it's kind of slightly difficult for me because like because I've spoken to so many people he's worked with there's almost this thing of like I know that he comes to every project with just like notes and like he loves he loves the he loves acting and he loves the projects themselves. So I don't think there is a lot of like stunt casting and stuff like that. And there's like I know I know I know you might have like a big issue with Mandy and stuff like that. But I, I feel like that film, especially like that that moment that kind of gets pulled out and the clip gets played of him freaking out in the bathroom. Like I have a phrase on my podcast where I call it like an earned freak out because like in that instance and and the same applies for mum and dad it's like in the kind of uh narrative of the world and the kind of rules of that world and what's happened before in the plot they make sense and it's like the way cage is acting in mum and dad like this kind of unexplained need to kill his children makes entire sense and the way he behaves in mandy especially that 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 specific scene which kind of gets laughed at and and a lot of people think it is like Cage winking at the camera, but like the beginning half of that film, he's like he's very somber, and like he shows you the kind of range that he can do. Like, ser- you know what I mean? He can play a goofball as well, and I think he, he some of that go- goes over into um, Color Out of Space as well. I think like some of the most interesting bits of Color Out of Space is when he's not playing the horror; he's mm-hmm. playing just the goofy dad. I find that more a far, far more interesting because that like, whereas I don't, I, I don't I don't know I don't feel like he is the closest he probably comes to it is is something like Willy's Wonderland but I, I don't know like I maybe I'm blo- I've got my blinders up because I'm kind of under the cage spell but 
I, I, I like to think that like mm-hmm. he takes the roles because he he likes them, and I think yeah, we're seeing that especially now with the kind mm-hmm. of the release of Pig and the kind of how that is not not anything like these kind of freak out roles, and as much as that film could have been right. very much pushed in that direction by his star power. Mm-hmm. I agree, and like about the urn thing, and I think what we also sometimes forget. Um... <laughs> I'm intentionally not trying to bring Keanu back up, but I think of like that guy's got uh, physical and action stuff like that. No one else does. And that's why he's a regular for these types of movies. And um, I think when I think of like that bathroom scene in Mandy, like that is a colossal physical feat too. Like we tend to think of like acting as like subtle line delivery, but that's just like one single element of acting. And I think it's kind of cool because we picture cage like, you know, you picture him at events wearing like a cowboy hat, looking a little drunk and a little puffy. But then you see him do these like colossal physical feats, like this giant bathroom freak out. And like, that's really hard to do. And he does a really great job. And it's funny. And it's kind of scary. And it's weird. And it is like, it is like a deadpan of him in his entire body for a long time. And that's pretty hard to do. Pretty cool thing that he delivered. But I know that you hate Mandy Mike, so I won't make you listen to me pontificate about it. <laughs> for too long (laughs) i'll I'll say that my biggest problems with mandy and i would say go back and listen to our 50th 50th episode where jerry and i do a a fan commentary on it or a half fan half other commentary (laughs) split commentary Um, and you'll find that like my criticisms of mandy are less about nick cage and more about the direction and also when your main villain of the movie looks like jeff jarrett double j from the WWF <laughs> circa 1999, like I'm going to have a hard time taking it. <laughs> it's not for everyone. Like we can it's all agree that that movie is not for us. everyone. I think it's, and it should be for fewer people in the sports. <laughs> all I'm saying, you know, oh, God, I actually had, um, you know, listen, I had, um, this colleague that I sat beside for a while at work, uh, who was like super into horror. And I like very much keep my like double life, under wraps and so he had no idea that I like wrote or talked about her or anything professionally and every time he would ask me about movies he would always be like that's a movie for critics not for fans and I'd be like yeah I totally agree critics are the worst and he was just like obsessed with Mandy and would just like go off nonstop about how like it's not a movie for critics it's a movie for fans I want to be like all my friends love it man you don't know what you're talking about but I was like didn't I, tell yeah. him and was like, you know what? You should buy the act for the office. Um, <laughs> cool dude. Right. Like, that's not wanna, an indictment of him. He's very cool. I, I want to shift a little bit and say part of the reason this movie works so well and part of the reason I think Nick Cage is so great is in this movie is because he had someone to work against in this movie mm-hmm. who is matching his energy bit for bit, who is bringing that same sort of intensity and that same sort of unpredictability to the role here. And I think what often happens in like a Nick Cage genre film is everyone is reacting to Nick Cage and they're more muted by comparison. Selma Blair absolutely destroys in this movie. And she is fantastic. And I don't think we can say enough good things about her. Like her, the ability of her to mix mix that kind of like wounded parent at the beginning of the movie and 
her ability to kind of you see in her interactions like between Brent and Kendall how much resentment that is like percolating just under the surface there and when those start to bubble out and come over and then she's a fucking wildebeest when she's going after and I'll be honest like most of this movie I'm rooting for Kendall to take out her daughter <laughs> A hundred percent. I'm rooting for Kendall. This whole movie. Carly sucks. All right. Yeah. She is like when, when a lot of my friends are childless by choice. (laughs) And when I look at Carly, I'm kind of like, they've made a good decision. They've made the right choice. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I'm absolutely rooting for Kendall in this. And maybe it's just because it's like, you know, the, the woman who loses herself kind of thing. But I love her for because she's not only her versus her kids, which she is. She's also, and not in a way, like, I do think it's, like, really tired that a lot of movies always are, like, and marriage is bad and husband and wives hate each other. I'm like, that's such a, like, tired, boring trope. Like, people like each other. And um, I do love that in this movie, like, her qualms with her husband seem, like, super real. Like, they still love each other, but they mm-hmm. bitch at each other and bicker a lot. And yeah. so, like, I'm totally rooting for her about, like, the <laughs> sawzall and everything because it's, like so funny that she's like you're such an idiot to her husband like she's still mad she's like a gun that's so unsafe like she still gets to be the like the wife that someone would think was nagging but she's just actually being completely reasonable (laughs) like i love her for that i love her for that it's so good and you don't hate her you don't i think like a lesser performer could take that same energy in that same kind of that same tone and played in such a way where it does become the nag or it does become the person who try. I never feel that Kendall is trying to chip away at Brent's masculinity or insecurities in this movie, that everything she does is either to try to like to counterbalance him, which I think is what you need in a good relationship. You counterbalance one another. You don't, you're not always on the same page and you need to be reasonable and say, well, you know, there's a reason I'm with this person. They have things to offer. I should listen to them. I don't know. I think that, that the so. film, like, well, the characters, what's really well about them is they both understand each other and they both kind of have the same frustrations. Because I think one of the, like, the themes that it deals with is that thing of, like, loss of youth. And I think it's that it, it kind of adds that extra, I don't know, layer of context if you are a parent of something that you either have to deal with like, you know, I, like, yeah, when I first became a parent, there was all that stuff of like, uh, I can't, I can't like, e- even like mundane things, like I can't just do the things, do you know what I mean? Like my life is no longer me, 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 me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's sure. like, and I think like it taps into like that. That's what's so great about it. this film is it taps into like the horror of, on, on many different levels. Because obviously everybody is, a daughter or a son but then there's that added level of the whole like if you are a parent then there's that added thing of like imagine like having Mm -hmm. to kill your child like um, some people some people like would be like (laughs) i would jump at the chance because my kids are fucking nightmares yeah but uh, i i I, I think Mm -hmm. what like is roots this film so amazingly is that chemistry between cage and blair because like seeing them together in like i think it's uh, like a 
at TIFF, there was like on, on the Blu-ray, there's like a kind of Q&A afterwards. And like Kate, or, or like, it might, it, yeah, it was or something like one. Oh, it was like I saw it. But I didn't really recorded it. For the they, they I'm like, like it. they just have this like chemistry in person anyway, and it kind of it almost feels like like look back through Nick Cage's like or both of their like Wikipedia's be like. It seems like one of the marriages he would have had would have like would have been to like Selma Blair. They kind of like have this like magnetic energy, and yeah, I think because she matches his kind of unpredictability and stuff like that it really like adds to the kind of like i don't she seems like she doesn't give a fuck either i think that's like (laughs) yeah she's oh man she's so cool she like it's funny because i think at least me and my cohorts like we associate her so much with like legally blonde and cruel intentions and these types of movies where she tends to play like a pretty like stiff broad you know and she comes into this role, and, like, I just, she's so surprising. Like, she has a few really great moments of, like, jerking her head to the side. Her car cry <laughs> is hilarious. And, like, she goes from the, like, stiff mom being, like, you're Facebooking. That's annoying. To being really over the top. And, like, the moment where they have the best chemistry and they're, like, barely even shooting together. They probably weren't even in the same room when these lines were delivered. Is when she has the idea to, like, gas, yeah. like, put the gas line into the basement and she's like fighting like so focused fighting with the um hose and it's just like she doesn't even skip a beat she's like still in mom mode and she like grabs those hose and then you just hear like cage from the other room like this is a really good idea honey like yep. it's and such a it. no beautiful moment of no like acknowledgement. <laughs> she's like i know it's a good idea I husband know. and wife working like, together and like right like you said like she balances it so well like when she's talking about the gun she's still being the mom protecting her kids like a gun is so unsafe it could have killed our son as she's like trying to break through the door to literally murder him like it's so she does great. this she does this thing in that moment when she hears him say that and she's like just and she's on the argument she's outside not in the same room as him she turns around and the look on her face is like I know it's a good idea. I wouldn't have suggested it if it wasn't a good idea. I don't suggest bad ideas. <laughs> I've been on both ends of that look. Like I've been <laughs> the recipient yeah. of that look. And I've also given that look where I'm like, yeah, of course. And I've, you know, in my, my um, day job, I'm, I'm a counselor and a therapist. And I've, when clients have said, oh my God, like that's, that's this really insightful thing. I'm like, well, the thing about me is I'm very intelligent. Like I've said that. <laughs> You're like, yeah, <laughs> I, know. I, I, I know. Like I've said it to clients I'm very comfortable with if I have a good rapport with them. Um, I want to talk about the Facebooking moment a little bit and we'll just go back a little bit from that because it's the start of the movie. I think that opening scene in the kitchen so sets up like what's going to happen in this movie. And it gives you such a wonderful understanding of these characters and that you see Nick Cage's Brent gets to be the fun dad. He gets to play where Kendall is trying to impart a little bit of order in the household. And you can see like at one point Brent says to his son, like because they hear the news report of the mom who left your kid in the car and he got smashed by a train. I was like, see, that's why you do everything mom says. And like, there's a little look between them where it's like, Oh, fuck you. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like, (laughs) how dare you? Like, and you get the feeling it hasn't been the first time that like they, the children 
have been played against the parents a little bit. It really is clever to plant the seeds of like, almost like if it wasn't for this freak accident, they possibly would kind of, something would happen in their life. Do you know what I mean? Maybe not trying to kill their kids, but like some kind of catastrophe, like, yeah, catastrophe would happen, like, or like they they're, they're destined for a big blow up as a family, and like I think the filmmaking's really well in that, like you kind of get the sense of horror like really early on. You get that like Mr. Bill like sound design slash score. Like I think it's when Brent like goes to tickle, tickle the sun yeah. very early on, and it, it kind of like has almost like a a really like horror like inflected like thing of mm-hmm. like. And the menace on Cage's face and stuff, and it, like, yeah, it does that like really clever thing of just like planting seeds, like really. And even even watching it again, like those opening credits, like it has like shots that are from later on in the film, where it's like the kind of killer parents at the gates and stuff like that. So like you know what you're gonna see almost like, but uh, from moment one, but even yeah, before you're kind of introduced to this. Uh, what is it like live laugh love family house in the white picket (laughs) fences of suburbia um i was gonna say it sets up so much like i kept calling it like it's like a list of Chekhov's everything in that scene because it's like Chekhov's grandparents Chekhov's baby um like right in that moment what's funny about it is like um I don't think I would have thought of it the first time until the doorbell rings, but you realize, okay, parents are killing their kids. And that's like the premise that's pretty much set up right out the gate. Like you get it pretty, pretty early on. You get what's happening. Um, But it also is like in that opening scene, you find out her sister's going to have a baby and she doesn't even say your grandparents are coming. She's like, Brent, your parents are coming later or something like that. Like she makes a Mm -hmm. point of saying parents. And she says it again, even later in the movie, she's like, Oh shit, your parents um and so it's like in that movie in that moment we're setting up so many parental relationships really really rapidly while at the same time setting the scene of the like mom that the kids think is naggy and the fun dad who's like a little high strung because there's that moment where he like steps on the toy or something or gets hit by the toy Mm -hmm. and makes that like unhinged face just laughs it off and like you get that really really quick and it does so much heavy lifting in that early scene well you get in that little, little look that Brent gives Josh when Josh pegs him with the toy. Like, a moments before that, like, Josh wasn't asking to be tickled. You know, and Brent, like, basically came in and tickled him, and, like, it's playtime. Because Dad says it's playtime. But as soon as, like, Josh continued that moment a beat too long, you see Cage's or Brent's whole demeanor shift. Like, no, playtime is over, fucko. Like, it's over when I say it is. And you get, <laughs> like, when he's like, oh, dinner's in the fridge. Oh, yeah, fucking whatever. Like, you get this feeling like Brent has all of these simmering resentments that are going on under the surface. And you can't Ooh. wait to see them bubbled up. Before that, though, and I guess because, like, I'm a, you know, I'm a dad and I we have a daughter. And my wife right now my daughter is 11 and my wife right now feels like a lot of the conversations that her and my daughter have are kind of filled with this animosity at times it's kind of like why are you talking to me type of Mm. thing (laughs) and it felt so that moment in the car felt so real and to me it's kind of like 
I think what will happen is like your kids eventually grow up and realize mom and dad are okay and the relationship rebounds again. But developmentally, Kendall's at an age where she's trying to like gain more independence. And I guess Lindsay, like, not to get too personal, but like, <laughs> do you have like when you saw this happen, did it like make you recollect any of these like conversations with your own mom? Yeah, my mom was never um, meek. Like now she's a little, my mom's not meek, but now if anything, she might have the kind of like, oh, I just wanted to let you know, like now she's maybe a little more meek. But my mom, like if I was like mean to my mom, she wouldn't be like, we used to be friends. She'd be like, oh yeah, bit. Like she would come right back at me. Mm-hmm. Um, So like <laughs> we didn't have those like subtle, quiet conversations, but like, yeah, there were definitely times where we fought, but I don't think I was like a massive pain in the ass. I think I had my like 13, 14. I was like kind of an asshole, but I was always pretty close with my parents and like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, there was a time where I was kind of, kind of a douche, but my mom never like let on that she was like sad about it. Maybe she was, but she was much more like, God, you're being an asshole. And then mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. My nephews that- better like me forever or like gonna be trouble <laughs> i mean that conversation <laughs> felt real in a in a way in a lot of the conversations yeah. that in the kind of semi-quieter moments of the movie feel very real um and we'll definitely get to one later that i'm looking forward to talking about but this idea like when kendall says like you know you kids are like everything to me like that that is the thing that happens in parenthood like when like uh, petros like you talked about like as soon as this child comes out all of a sudden, like your life is no longer your own anymore for good and for bad. I mean, like the positive sides of parenthood, like it is fascinating and exhilarating at times to watch our kid experience the world. Um, it, there are also times you're like, look at all the things I had to give up. And yeah, 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 yeah. You want them to appreciate <laughs> that. You want them to be like, yes, I appreciate the sacrifices you had to make. And when they don't do it and then Carly's thing, like, God, I want more freedom and response. I want more responsibility. And I want more freedom. Why don't you trust me? Well, she's lying to her parents from the get go. You know that she's lying to her parents about going to the movies. Like, no, she's going to have alone time with her boyfriend. She steals from her mom. She's like taking mm-hmm. pills. She's, you know, not exactly like, you know, to me, like freedom is earned. Do you know what I mean? Like freedom is one of those things yeah, to yeah. get older. Like, yeah, you should have the ability to do more, but you have to earn it. And there's nothing I'm seeing in her that is making me think like, oh, yeah, this is a kid who should be out on her own more. Like she's earned it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, 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 obviously I'm at a stage where I've got a two year old and. To, like, the point of, like, I don't know, I kind of had, like, the first experience yesterday of, like, I, like, I, I lost him at the park. Well, like, I didn't. He just, mm. like, was playing at, amongst, like, I was kind of like the robbers in Home Alone 2 and they're kind of, like, grabbing kids by the hat mm. trying to figure out which one's Kevin McAllister. But, like, I kind of, like, the way he reacted when I, when I eventually found him I think it's like a perfect glimpse into what it's going to be like having an older child. Because he just went, oh, he went, oh, hi, Dada. And I was just like, oh, I'm going to worry for the rest of my life 
Whereas you're just going to be completely fucking oblivious yeah. that like how, how I felt. And it was kind of like, I don't know, watching this film again, those kind of like resentments and stuff like that that they have. Like, yeah, in that moment yesterday, I, I'm kind of pretty chill anyway, but like it really made me like feel like, there's no point like res- what's the point of resenting a child and like like i don't know i kind of i i i it's that weird thing where i'm like brent like for me like he's he's just a bit like even before everything that happens he's a bit of he's a massive dick yeah. do you know what i mean like he's he's his kids are old enough that he should have she he should have had this crisis way before having like what Kendall's got to be 15 16 years old potentially 17 yeah I think like, yeah Carly the daughter's supposed to be like high school so yeah probably Carly, like 16 yeah, ish yeah. and then Josh is younger yeah yes he says you're 16 and he's 17 oh, which to me when I was in high school the age gap between like boyfriend and girlfriend like two years is okay anything more than that so like 17 and 16 is pretty reasonable um, you're kind of close enough at that point. Um, but him, cause you see the glimpses of Brent's kind of previous life where he's like, as a 17 year old driving around, getting like a lappy, a lap dance from like a naked woman <laughs> and his dad's, you know, firebird. While meanwhile, you know, the irony is like Carly's boyfriend is like riding his BMX to school and like studying for exams and taking care of his dad and grandma like the furthest thing from like nick cage as a a, as a young kid but all of a sudden like brent is still like i know what it was like back then and that i i hope that that is not the dad that i'm going to be like when my daughter starts dating you know i don't want to be like obviously you want to protect your children no matter what, but I'm hoping that I'm not the, like, I know what it was like when I was 18. And like, I hope I can trust her. You know, that- <laughs> you don't going to, you don't going to be talking about dildos going ass to ass. Hopefully I, Mike. I, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like that's the kind of thing I would say, you know, that is, uh, <laughs> I am the inappropriate parent in the relationship. You know, my daughter no longer says dad. She just says, dad with the a extended out over many syllables because i've embarrassed her yep. in some way so. <laughs> that's funny <laughs> um i feel like i really wanted your insight like as parents because i do really really love that moment like i've seen it with some of my friends like i'm at the age of like some of my friends are parents and some of us are like lol that's not on the docket and like maybe not not necessarily not ever just like right now it feels unfathomable and yet like so many people my age are on like like have like three kids um so we're like there and i guess there is like i don't know you always kind of like wonder how they're feeling or what they're thinking and it's funny like most of my brothers my brother's only a year older than me and most of his friends are married with kids and it's funny, every time I like go to a party with all of them, they're like crowded around me like, so what's it like downtown? Can you just like go to the bar whenever you want? And I'm like, yeah, I guess. Um, and like, it's very funny. Um, and I always feel, I'm like, well, I'll see you all later. Um, 
But um, where was I going with that? Yeah, I really love that subtle moment. It's not subtle. It's like incredibly on the nose. It's not subtle at all. But when they're talking and Kendall, I think, says it where she's like, you know, we used to be Kendall and Brent and now we're mom and dad. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's their identity. And I think that's like what I think about like aging and like the loss of youth that you mentioned before. And obviously that, that um, you know, planned obsolescence uh, metaphor that they plant the seed in the classroom scene really early. But so much about youth fleeting that's scary is that it's like a huge part of your identity that changes like without you like most of most parts of your identity you kind of like have some control over but like your youth just like leaves like your age just like changes around you so you go from like being the kid at work or the young gun to suddenly you're just like not anymore and I think like this is like an ex almost like an extra layer of that they don't just age they also go from being individuals to being mom and dad um, and their identities just like change really quickly without them kind of noticing. And then all of a sudden they're having a crisis and building a pool table in the family room. The whole house is a family room. Um, I don't know if I could put it any better. I honest to God, even as yeah. a parent, like what you just said right there, I think kind of nails it. Um, and I think it gets a separate moment from his actual freak out. So maybe we'll treat them separately. Um it's funny because like when I introduce myself now to someone, it's like, yeah, I'm Ada's dad. Like that's the kind of moment that you have. Like I am <laughs> someone else. I'm not really myself anymore. Like I am the parental person of, of this and everything that you, you do it. You kind of have to like bear in mind, like, okay, like if you and I want to go have a date night, who's going to watch our daughter? What can now she's at the age where I trust her to spend a few hours on her own especially post COVID I'm a bit more trusting of her than my wife is, but I will kind of put my foot down uh, like on that. Um, Cause I, you know, she's a very responsible kid um, and she's earned that trust, but it's one of those things mm -hmm. where like, it is weird not always being who I thought I was or who I used to be. It's funny because yesterday I took a drive down to Providence, Rhode Island, which is I spent, I went to college there for a couple of years. And I spent more time in like punk clubs and poetry readings and bookstores and movie theaters and record shops and all of that stuff than I did any classroom. Um, and I went to all the usual spots where I would have gone now 26 years ago, 25, 26 years ago, and they're all gone. And it was really weird walking around like, oh, this is where like in your records was. Now it's like a yoga studio. Um spikes hot dogs is gone and i used to like i had a thing where like every tuesday i biked down to the comic book store picked up the new dc comics and got like a ranger dog and put in like some record i just bought or some cd i just bought on the discman and they were like could never have been happier um every place <laughs> all the punk clubs are gone every, in the downtown like nobody was there and it felt like that 25 years felt like it went by in the blink of an eye. And I'm like, and now I'm like, today I like scrubbed out the inside of my bathtub to the point where I was so happy with how it turned out that I sent my wife pictures of it overseas. And I'm like, here's the before, here's the after. Like, look how clean the bathtub is. And she was like, these are the sexiest pictures you have ever sent me. She yeah. Got it. Like we're on the same wave. Hot. Yeah. Um, I know. Isn't that wild? What? Oh God. Crazy. Yeah. 
I don't know what's, what I, it's like I, for you, Petrus, but uh, I don't, I'm obviously like still quite early in like being a parent. I'm a single parent as well, so like there's obviously like a different like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, mm-hmm. it's 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 slightly different, but like I think yeah. What one of the things that I think is like fascinating about this being a horror about the subject it is because I know like a lot of people. I'm not sure how like, you don't seem like the type, Mike, but you probably like. You, you both probably know people who've like become parents, and all of a sudden they like horror becomes like a a dirty thing. Do you know what I mean? It's like that thing of like I can't watch like I, oh, I can't watch that gross stuff anymore. Especially if it's something involving kids, they're like, oh no, like n- none of that for me. And like, I, like part of me feels guilty enjoying this film because I'm like I'm like as a parent, am I supposed to now be like you can't hurt the kids? I'm like. It's a it's a um <laughs> it's a metaphor that resonates for a reason. Yeah. Like I don't know if Brian Taylor has kids, but like I'm gonna guess this didn't come from nowhere. Right. <laughs> and I yeah, don't yeah. think that means that he like wants to kill his kids. <laughs> I don't think that about <laughs> the guy. <laughs> um and it's funny for me because my like I said, Ader is eleven and she's now like starting around age ten she started to kind of pull away from us a little bit in that Mm. like you know and that's developmentally appropriate like as a clinician i can tell you like that's a good thing that she's doing that but at the same time it does hurt like to kendall's point where she's like has that talk with her daughter like we used to be best friends and like carly's response to that is so hateful like it's not my fault you don't have a life and on one hand, it kind of is, you know, because it like, like literally is. Literally, is. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like, no, like at one point, like mom doesn't get to do whatever she wants to do anymore. It's like there are PTA meetings and soccer games and recitals and playdates to set up in all of those things. It's like, no, kind of like you are the reason why I no longer have a life. Like the reason why my wife and I live in the town that we do is because like my wife works in this town and the schools are better. So we moved here because where we Mm -hmm. used to live, we didn't like the schools and we moved just far enough away that it is really hard for our friends to get to us. And it's really hard Mm -hmm. for my friends to get to me. And all of a sudden that like Friday night where I'm like, I could leave now and go catch these bands. I'm like, but then it's going to look, what if I get caught in traffic coming home and this, and it becomes a lot easier not to do those things anymore. And that's what happens when you become a parent. I also will say that now where my daughter is 11, I'm like, God, when she's 18, she's probably going to move out and go to college. And, you know, it's bittersweet. It's like on one hand, we'll have a lot more freedom to do whatever we want. On the other hand, I will miss her tremendously. Like it will be very, very hard. Um, it will become a very difficult, you know, I'm not looking forward to the empty nest days. Um, Send her to summer camp. So it's like still, I feel like I think about all the time, like I went mm -hmm. to camp all summer and I like, didn't think I'd be the kid that went to camp. And I bet Mm -hmm. you like, as soon as I did, my parents probably like, hell yeah. (laughs) Like ship the kids, put them on a bus with a bag of clothes (laughs) and like (laughs) see you in two months. Like that's what's up. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I feel we like that's a good a, that's a good opener. We do have a friend that they send their child like starting at age eight to summer camp, like for the whole summer, and the kid loves it. And we that like we couldn't imagine doing that. 
Like honestly, I had like little kids when I was a counselor, like little little kids that I was like, holy cow! But they usually only came for two weeks. Yeah, they into like a whole couple weeks. That's one thing, but all summer is something. Yeah, that's that's I don't know. (laughs) And if you if they love it, then by all means. Thirteen year old Um, me was like parenting those kids. It was truly something to behold. You had a note in here about planned planned obsolescence and how that tied in the movie. I really liked it. Can you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Like I kind of touched on it a bit when we were talking about um, basically like what happens to like in Kendall's whole like little line delivery, but yeah, it's fun. There's that classroom scene again, right at the beginning because this movie sets up so much and they talk about planned obsolescence from the perspective of cell phones, basically, which for those of you who don't know, if you picked on picked up on it in the movie, basically that like a lot of devices are created to not last. They're planned to become obsolete in a year or two, so that you buy a new one, uh, which is very evident in things like cell phones. We all buy new mobile phones every year or two uh, because they are obsolete very quickly, um, and that is something that they tend to plan. Planned obsolescence, capitalism. It's exciting, um, and it's kind of fun when you look at it in this context that it's like the humans are like (laughs) kind of experiencing that like your plan to become obsolete and so we go from this like conversation about planned obsolescence to kendall doing yoga and sitting across uh, from her friend jenna you know having their coffees pose yoga talking about like how it's how they're trying so hard to stay hot because they gotta stay relevant and they gotta matter and like no, they're going to be old and useless soon. And then it's also like, although I don't really, this is definitely the biggest continuity error in the movie, but Brent and his little freak out is like, and you know, I used to be this like cool musician or whatever he is. And he's like, now I make $40,000. I'm like, what? This whole movie is about your like yeah. excess and wealth, but like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, him, I was doing the math in my head too. I could see him taking a pay cut, but not quite. And I, I took that I mean, as a like, uh, exaggeration when he's okay fair so like uh forty thousand dollars they made a whole point about you being like a rich suburban dad Mm -hmm. with the like zoom out the like long shot or the wide shot of their big house with all their cars and their Mm -hmm. housekeeper but like okay well Um, you get to you get to carly's friend's house and that becomes like a level of opulence that that is disgusting like you feel gross looking in that house (laughs) but they're like fun yeah blender and whatever but um yeah, yeah. So it's almost just like humans, man. We're like obsolete to our like now. Suddenly, we become just like the step up for our kids, and it's like, see you later. On on your point of like planned obsolescence, I kind of I felt it's like a very good like metaphor for that thing of like how as as children you almost have to like kill those like bad habits of your almost like metaphorically kill your parents in a way to like do better Mm. do you know what I mean like to to be to be the better like model of like I don't know learn from the mistakes that your parents made if there's like things that they did like I'm not talking like heinous shit I'm just talking (laughs) about like do you know what I mean like ah I don't like like do you know what I mean I wish that they maybe had talked to me a bit more about stuff or did this a bit better like I think I think the film like subtly kind of like embeds that with that kind of talk about uh, planned obsolescence with that kind of thing of like you can kind of like choose how you like which stance you take on it you can kind of like look at it from the kids of like oh now it's their mission to almost like stamp out like because their parents are coming for them and they're they're worried about becoming obsolete but it's like you always have to stamp out the what came before you to thrive almost. Right. Do you know what I mean? As as kind of like 
Darwinian as that may sound, it's kind of like <laughs> survival of the fittest. In, in some ways, it's about a fear of losing power. Um, that yeah. when you're a, the parents, typically, you know, the parents at least feel they have the power. And I will tell you that as a parent, your one of your greatest fears is the day that you realize one day your kids will realize you're powerless and they'll just stop listening to you. <laughs> and that's a terrifying yeah. thing. Um, like even when you like quote unquote punish your kids, like if I, if we take away like, all right, no cell phone for you, you can't say like no phone and no TV for a week because then all of a sudden, like we become the people that have to kind of like quote unquote entertain our kid. Um, so it becomes a lot easier to let things slide. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because we end up punishing ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, I remember I was out with my sister-in-law, my nephews. We went mm-hmm. to this like casual restaurant. This guy was like so cool. His like daughter, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. The like owner of the restaurant was like very nice, cool guy. We're having like a great reaction, like great experience. And at the end of the meal, um, my nephew was watching something on my sister-in-law's phone and he just goes, you know, um, he said, oh, yeah, I don't remember the language he used. He said something like, you know, you're cursing him to that, right? Like basically like, the like harsh judgment about um, her letting my nephews look at a screen. Mm-hmm. And like one thing about my sister, like my sister-in-law can take care of herself. Like she does not need anyone to take care of her, but like, she's much more the like the quiet, like this? nicer in those scenarios mm-hmm. types. And let me tell you, I tore a strip off this strange man. I was like, I'm so- like, did anybody ask you? <laughs> like, I, laid into this dude anyway i just think about it all the time where i was like is this dude for real like is he for real about to like walk up and like just be like you know here are my thoughts on your kid looking that at is, a cell phone like get bent is, dude do you want him yeah. screaming in this restaurant that's your choice that like, is someone who doesn't have children can oh I he can... does he like but like oh. older his kids are like my age okay i can tell you <laughs> that before we had our kid we definitely were going to be like the kids aren't gonna you know our kid's not gonna watch tv we're not going to be the kind of <laughs> the television babysitter that, you know, it gets thrown out the window very quickly. Now we will do things like, Hey, you got to go screen free for a couple hours. Sure. Read I believe in boundaries and rules. Right. Don't get me wrong. But, but yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, uh, I, uh, I can count. We have dinner together every night but I can count the number of times we've had dinner at a table together on like maybe two hands. We our dinner time plan (laughs) is like we grab our meals and we watch the Simpsons together and we like tell jokes and we talk about our day, but like we do it over the course of like a Simpsons episode, you know, that's our plan, you know, that's your move. That's your life. You know, like eating dinner at a table. Yeah. It's like, you you know, know my life, man. Also, yeah. I like always go back to not the like, like parenting from the woman with no kids. Um, yeah, and that's okay. You can have always... no kids, but, but have good insights, I always go so. back to the whole thing that like, um, and you can find it. I'm not just like pulling this out of my ass. That when um, books were like super, super popular for the first time and they became like super um, easy to get, there was like all this like panic about like mm-hmm. kids are reading too much. They need to go outside and play. So I'm like, it's the same shit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Your kids watching TV, it's the same. Like, obviously, you know, it's just, well, oh, I wish you would read. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, people panic about is, I will say that, like, what happened this year was, like, my daughter didn't have any of her typical friends in her class. And she loves to read. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, I'm not going to be the dad that says don't read. Yeah. Matter of fact, she realized she could <laughs> stay up late if she read. 
I'm like, you can stay up as late as you want as long as oh. you're reading, right? So, but what happened is like she would bury herself in a book at school. So like she wouldn't Aww. talk to other kids. So we kind of had to be like, okay, you have to leave the book with mom um, because we were just like, you have to actually socialize. So there's got to be a balance. Like they're definitely. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. There has to be I will a not, yeah. I will not purport to have any clue. Um, yeah. Speaking of school, <laughs> the yes. scene where the freak out occurs and it's shot. It's great. Um, yeah, you get like the parents on one side, the kids on the other, and no one really knows. Just the parents like standing there, gawking like, at the children, hungry. Yeah, they look Pissed hungry. Off. Pissed off. Um, so, so Brian Taylor told me like they're just like they put out an open call for parents like where they filmed said if you could bring up like parent and kids combos like come down and like that so they're actually a lot of them are real parents and like their kids mm -hmm. so like and they kind of like he's he kind of joked and said i didn't really need to give them that much direction oh, it's like, like you, yeah you, you you really want to kill your kid and it's like mm -hmm. oh like i did on tuesday yeah that's <laughs> like, fine yeah like, i can find that place i'll, I'll do yeah. that but i think like that to the point of like how that scene is like it's terrifying when you first get the glimpse of like, mm. I think it's when you first, like the kid gets called out, doesn't he? And then another kid gets called like to the principal's office. And then you see them all outside of the exam hall mm -hmm. and it's terrifying. But I think like the, the moment, I guess it's when the kind of the pressure, the, the pot uh, goes over the boil is when you get that like quick cut, of the kid going over the fence, kind of disappearing, and then you just get those like keys in the like that mm. shot of the keys, and then just like he, yeah, he's just whatever has happened, like, and it's I, it's a perfect horror moment because like your imagination is doing so much of the filling yeah. in at that point where it's like that like you could have shown me that and it wouldn't have yeah. been as terrifying as what I've imagined. And then it's also kids mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's grotesque yeah. <laughs> yeah and then when right. you go from that to the parents basically hunting their children like hunting yeah. down the kids in the field um you have the one where the one dad like tackles his daughter and has her pinned to the ground and is just like pummeling her there's one where the mm -hmm. the girl has like the trash bag around her face and is being suffocated it is you know, to your point, Petrus, of saying, like, are there some things as a parent, like, that are tougher to watch? Like, I think, like, probably when my kid was a lot younger, that would have been a lot harder to go, ooh, mm -hmm. like, that's a bit too much for me. Like, it is genuinely difficult to watch. And then to that degree, um, one of the things that is really difficult in this movie is the confrontation between Damon and his father. Yeah. Because... Mm -hmm. You get the feeling what makes that scene so upsetting is you it's intimated that that is just the latest in a long line of like physical confrontations between father and son. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. he says something like not again or something like that. Um, yeah. And it makes you like, yeah, it's an interesting like bridge. Um, the first time I saw it, I kind of like didn't know what to make of it. I still don't know what to make of it, but it is kind of an interesting bridge between like, um, the you know nice family that bickers a lot and then the like kid who has like a very different life and what it means for mm -hmm. like parents who want to hurt their kids and like yeah. how far that 
yeah. how far of a reach that concept mm-hmm. is, I guess. Um, but yeah. The 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 only thing about like the the Damon like character and like his relationship with his dad, I find like slightly problematic mm-hmm. is the fact like he is like the only character of like mm-hmm. he's the only person of color in this. Yeah. And it kind of very much it feels a bit like a a stereotypical legitimate like almost like I'm not I'm not gonna say racist. Mm-hmm. I don't think that like would be the filmmaker's intention, but like do you know what I mean? It's very stereotypical of like his dad happens to be a drunk mm-hmm. yeah. and like there's the the thing of divorce and stuff like that yeah. and it's and, and throughout the whole film, like Damon like seems to be the one who gets like the, worst the brunt of, of a lot of yeah, right. the worst of it. And it's kind of like for like kind of watching it like now, it's a bit like oh yeah, like that's his coat hanger through the mouth. It's like that could have happened to Carly. Like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. like Damon doesn't die, but like it's still kind of like and it probably would have like been even more impactful if it if it had happened to Carly as opposed to having this kind of like human punch bag for like the parents mm-hmm. to kind of hit about willy nilly. To your point too, like Brent goes after Damon. Like when he sees Damon in his house, mm-hmm. like every you've seen throughout the movie, like any other any time that a parent has the opportunity to attack another kid, they don't because there's no interest in it. They're like, oh hey, yeah. it's you know, how are you guys doing? Like, let me get you cookies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about their own children. Like when Brent sees Damon in his home, like this is when you know like there is more going on with Brent than mm-hmm. just this catastrophe that there's no explanation for like that simmering rage that he has comes out on this kid. And then Damon also lets loose later in the movie. He says like, I thought when my parents got divorced, that would be the worst thing ever, but it actually improved my chances of survival. And my thought (laughs) in that moment was like, what did Damon's mother have to do to lose custody of Damon? If her dad, if the dad is that abusive and if he's an alcoholic and can't really take care of himself, let alone his kid, what is Damon's mother like? Because I can tell you, like, working within the family systems, it's kind of hard for the mom to lose custody of the kid. Like, that tends yeah. to be the default. Um, so, and it's not like mom is dead. It's just that she can't take care of him at all. So I wondered, like, how bad she had to be. Like, was she abusive? as well oh, and wasn't shit. even further so like this kid has it rough and he gets the worst of it yeah. he's dead at the end of this correct like that fall kills him or am i wrong and i think we're meant to like assume I... it yeah i don't, I don't know I, 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 that's what's kind of interesting about this film is the kind of lack of resolution yeah, there is, right yeah. i'm sure we'll get we'll get we to will. that <laughs> um so i want to talk about nick cage's freak out moment here where they have like the flashback scene and you show him and it's funny like my dad when i was around like carly's age like put a pool table in like the home office downstairs so i'm kind of like huh is this like a (laughs) middle-aged and what me what was my dad going through at that time um besides chemotherapy you know like what was going on there um but nick cage like he builds this beautiful pool table it's just not level and then Carly comes in, um, Kendall comes in and is kind of like, did you, how much did you pay for this? Christmas is around the corner. Everything 
Brent says in that moment are probably things that I've said myself. Jesus. I just thought, you know, like, like, like a family room. The whole house is a family room. Okay, you see, I got a problem with that one right there because I bust my ass six days a week trying to pay this place down. That's like a fucking obstacle course trying to get out the fucking front door. I mean, one of these days, I'm going to trip over one of Josh's toys and take a nosedive straight to the emergency room. What are you saying? I'm saying that maybe we need to have boundaries. I'm saying that maybe there needs to be a fucking grown-up zone and a fucking kid zone! Brent, honey, you think I want to be the one to piss all over your family room? Do you think I want to be the one who has to build a fucking family room? Let me see if I can take care of this for you, sweetheart. Yeah, I think I have something. Just the right thing. sales either. Try and get quarters down there, be a big man. Not exactly what I had in mind as a young dude, you know. Bright future, everything in the world to look forward to. I mean, I was going to grab the world by the balls and squeeze, boy. God damn it, I remember that kid I used to be like four fucking minutes ago. My feet barely touched the ground back then. My kill ratio was 9 out of 10, it was 100% sex. But that guy, in a million years could never have pictured this tired motherfucker he turned out to be. Flat on his ass, fat ball, cottage cheese, fucking ass, blue bonnet, butter, waistline with hair coming out of my ears, my nose. My salary went from $145,000 to $45,000. Yeah, building a fucking man cave, that's right. You're right. Maybe not out loud to somebody else, but to myself multiple times. Like the, the idea is like, I can see that person I was in my 20s or my teen years like it was yesterday. And it's gone in a blank. And all of a sudden, I look at myself in the mirror now and I'm a lot rounder than I used to be. I've got arthritic knees that I'm going to need another surgery on um, and rehab on. I don't move around like I used to. I'm not as sharp as I used to. I'm like, do I need reading glasses? And it's like, you see like this kid who's like full of piss and vinegar and they're going to take the world by the balls. And he's like, he's like, when he says like, you know, he's like, yeah, I don't even like pool. And you know, I'm not that really hot on machine parts either, but that's what I sell for a living. And like that broke me like that line. I'm like, yeah, I've been there where you're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? And it's so honest and so brutal. 
And what really sells that scene is Kendall's reaction because Kendall doesn't meet Brent's energy in that moment, nor does she try to convince him differently. She doesn't be like, come on, that's not actually true. Kendall's reaction tells you that this is not the first time Brent has had the kind of reaction like this, that he has not had this like outburst of anger and hostility and self-loathing and loathing of his lot that this, if it's not a regular occurrence in his life, then maybe it happens on a more regular basis. And to like Brent's point, when he's like, this whole house is a fucking family room. He's right. And I don't like the term man cave. I don't believe that like there needs to be a space where like, it's like, only Where men can roam. Yeah, it's like it's wicked gross. <laughs> I built in the in our basement. We have an unfinished basement, and I put like a theater in there. And I remember when I built it. I'm like, looked at my wife, and I'm like, one day this is going to be the room that my daughter gets drunk in for the first time. You know, I mean, like it's going to be the spot where anyone. <laughs> True. Can go, you know, that's so cute. So I don't believe in the idea of the man cave. I find them really gross. I do believe in the idea of having spaces for individuals in a home that is like their Mm -hmm. area that is like their place just becomes theirs and like for me it's this like desk and it's like in a little nook like when we bought this house i'm like this is what sold me on the house like oh there's a built-in nook in this room and i can put a desk in here and this is where i'm going to write and this is where i'm going to study and this is where i'm going to create things that is what sold me on buying this house over a different one. This little four and a half foot by like three foot. And I'm doing the measurements as we record. <laughs> it's four and a half by like three feet. And, stuff. and it's my space. The idea that like your house, like you give up all of your space. We have like mm-hmm. what sent me over the edge a couple months ago. We put pet stairs on like each edge of the sofa. And I'm like, we don't need these pet stairs. I like lost it. I'm like, the dog is fine. She can jump up. Yes, the cat is older. He can get up and down the couch, no problem. Please, like, I just bought this new sofa. And the living room looks like there's adults in it. I don't have these things in it. I lost it. I was, like, really upset over these $10. Because I'm like, can we just have a house that it looks like an adult lives in? Yeah, I, yeah. Sorry, that was my diatribe of this. No, that's okay. I literally, like, again, my, like, peripheral idea of parenthood comes from, like, this brief time I spent with my nephews, whom I love and I'm obsessed Mm -hmm. with, in case that's not obvious. But I literally spent two nights with them a couple weekends ago. And, like, it was, like, I love them so much. But, like, get out of my room, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Get out. Get out out of my room and it was like a whole thing and then my mom was like you're bickering with the six-year-old and i was like no one asked for it my brother's name's jeff i was like no one asked for another jeff like i didn't ask for this like another (laughs) one of him that checks my room while i'm sleeping it's a nightmare so i can't listen you two do hard work you do do very hard work. We're we rewarding to. work. Kids are the best. I love my nephews with my and entire self, to, but you know, it's difficult. You, at the end of the yeah. day, it's what we chose. So there's only yeah. so much you can, you know, like, hey, you picked it, you know? It's, I'm, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, at, I'm at the stage where I've got like a two-year-old who just kind of like walks into 
walks into my room in the morning. Like he has a little stool next to my bed and like jumps on me in the morning to like wake me up. And it's so like, cute, but get out. There are moments I'm like, I, I, yeah, I didn't like. <laughs> can we have five more minutes? Like, can I put on Mickey Mouse's clubhouse? And can I just get like ten more minutes in bed, please? Yeah, like, get out. Like, I love you with my whole <laughs> self. Like, get the hell out of my room. Get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was like trying to get dressed and I was like, get out of here. Um, but I love, them. I love my whole self. So I very much understand that. Um, but also I don't because it's not my life. But I also peripherally understand it. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> now that we've all said stuff that we're going to regret uh, about children in our lives. That I regret much. Nothing. That is now uh, immortalized. Yeah, yeah, immortalized for this podcast forever and everyone can listen to it. Um, you chatted, like you talked about... Um, the whole the school scene and that kind of bubbling up scene and I think one thing about this movie that's really cool is like a there's a lot of set pieces that rock and there's also a lot of tableaus that really rock like that one's awesome the baby scene is grotesque and hilarious Mm -hmm. and it's not even that grotesque you like remember it is much worse than it is because it's just so absurd um but I also think of that whole baby hospital scene and how over the top it is the best moment is when they're putting the babies in the um nursery whatever i don't know what it's called where they have like all those babies there for the dads to come see and there's just like all these men just like drooling like staring through the glass not moving and it's so spooky and it It also like oh my god i love it and it also kind of shows an escalation because there's a lot of them like standing and staring waiting for their moment to pounce throughout the movie but then when it's kendall and um uh brent they're like plotting and talking Mm -hmm. and speaking I think what's really interesting about the dads looking at the incubators is because none of them know yet which is their kid. So it is that kind of thing, like a kind of like pack of hyenas almost like, or like not, not like looking for which one's the weakest, but they're just looking like, I don't actually, I know I want to kill, I I want to kill something, but I don't know which one's Mm -hmm. mine to kill. Like, and I think the, the, the the thing that borders on grotesque with that uh, like birth scene, I think it's like the, just the thing of Selma Blair, like when she's got the baby and they like cut, like mm-hmm. she's falling back and they they have to cut the umbilical cord for her to get away. But that's like, but yeah, it's it's juxtaposed with what's that like? There's that needle drop on it, like it must have been love, but it's yeah. over yep. now. So so it's like like that is like, and I think Brian Taylor has said like openly he's happy to kind of flirt with tone all the time of like, yeah, it could be horrific one moment, but I'm happy to make it hot, like comedy the next. Like, I think that, yeah, like for, for better or worse, that has been like the kind of thing he's done his whole career. It it's keeps you so off kilter. It feels inappropriate. You almost feel yeah. like this is inappropriate. Like what is going yeah. on? You it, Almost like as an audience member, you laugh, but then I feel a little angry. I'm like, God damn it. Like, this is like a mom that's about <laughs> to like commit because the baby, like, to me, like, on levels of things you shouldn't kill in movies, like, there's dogs, and then just underneath that are babies because babies are like mm-hmm. so helpless. And it feels like you're like laughing, but then you're like, I am angry at you for doing this. And God love them for like making that pick. Yeah. And that song, like, it must have been love. That whole bit is so great because the music in this movie is wild. It's like pretty subtle. There's a few like jarring like smash cuts with loud music and things like that. That seems so fun because the music in the rest of the movie is much more like 
horror score. Um, like we even talked mm-hmm. about like the bit, even when um, uh, Brent is like tickling his son, it's like horror music. Um, so I just love that scene because it is like the most violent, grotesque, mm-hmm. nasty scene in the movie, perhaps. And it's like the silly, big, bright music. Mm-hmm. But then the music in this, like just to kind of squeeze it in right uh, near the end here, like it has that really cool synth score that I will not get sick of for a long time. But it's like definitely something that era of those like kind of meta horror comedies, again, like The Guest, um, took that like 80s synth type score to layer into their scary movies. And this is like another really great example of it, yeah. whether you're sick of it or not. 2017, I feel like we were like getting it, you know, <laughs> now maybe we're sick of it. <laughs> I'm all for it. I'm still here for the synth scores. Me I too. Love so, I love it. Um, yeah. Moving on just a bit. I want to say that, oh, the other thing about Brent's diatribe too, it's fascinating when him and, Kendall do sit down and talk is where their grievances are centered. Like all of Brent's grievances are centered on himself. Like, look what happened to me. Look where my life turned out where Kendall's there are much broader. She's like, I thought motherhood would be different than it is. I thought like by bringing this life into the world, how much more fulfilled life would be, but it's not, it's really not. And it's like a much less selfish kind of point of view. It's Mm. fascinating kind of looking at those two characters. Um, Yeah. I watching this again, there were, and I would say like looking at my kind of like trajectory as a dad and, and kind of adapting to parenthood, how much I would have identified with him like seven or eight years ago, that kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. And what really stuck with me this time was that idea of like, who is that this person in the mirror right now and like where did that other person go um i still feel like the guy that is like riding in the trans am pulling donuts you know i still (laughs) part of me at times like still feels like that person the other part of me is like i enjoy being responsible i'm like here's the here is instead of the bucket list here is the home depot list you know it's a different sort of (laughs) It's a different sort of thing. Um, here's what I really like about this movie. And you mentioned like Chekhov's gun, like Chekhov's grandparents bringing Lance Henriksen yeah. <laughs> in and realizing that it's not just, oh, it's anyone, you know, 18 or under as a target. Like every parent is trying to kill their child. And what I love about it is when like, stop hurting my grand stop hurting my dad grandpa and he lance henderson looks over, it's like hey there's my champ like that <laughs> is fucking grandparents in a nutshell because i can't tell you the number of things my mom has let my daughter get away with whatever like oh like we're all having lunch and like my daughter doesn't like what they ate so it gets thrown out like oh you're all set here's a giant piece of cake and ice cream I can't tell mm-hmm. you how many times like you every gotten one of my things as a parent that I'm glad I don't do is I'm like, you're all done eating. Cool. Be done. You got, you know, make your own plate, take as much as you want. And then, Oh, you don't like what I made. Once you go fix yourself, something you're old enough. Don't worry about it. That has taken so much stress out of me. <laughs> I used to get so stressed. I'm like, I made dinner. You're not eating. You know? And I'm like, fuck it. She's not eating. She doesn't like what I made. Like, it's not an indictment. I'm like, all right, go make yourself, go make yourself a sandwich. And that is, it probably has improved the relationship with my daughter and I like tenfold. But that being said, growing up, if I didn't clean my goddamn plate, there was no dessert. 
there was no cake. Mm-hmm. Parents, grandparents, like my mom was like, yeah, I'm the grandma. I can do whatever the fuck I want. She doesn't swear. So my mom would want not. She's, she's a saint. Anna, Anna Snoonin is a saint. She's like, yeah, you know, it's a, I can do whatever I want. I'm grandma. Grandmas get to be fun. Screw you. Like, you know, now you get what I got growing up. You know, like you were a little, you know, you were a little turd burglar growing up. And, you know, <laughs> now you're getting it back. So that moment to me is like it sums up grandparenthood in like just a nutshell. So good. You're so and, right. and then we get like the kind of mirror with that with Kendall saying to like Brent's mum as well. Yeah. It's like she's trying to talk her down off the ledge of like, and I guess it's that kind of thing you kind of see, like it's that trope you see of like the, what is it? Like the, 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 the daughter-in-law and the mum, not, not particularly like getting no, on too well. But like, just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So you get like, it kind of like really playfully yeah. plays with those like mm-hmm. kind of tropes really well. And like what? That Lars Hendrickson, uh, it's only in the film, like the the grandparent journey in the film. What, like seven five, minutes? Ten maybe minutes? barely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, it's, like, it's crazy. Yeah. But they're like, and they get horrible deaths. They get absolutely yeah horrific deaths. Um, and you, yeah, and the idea, like the mother-in-law is not trying to kill Kendall. Like she's not attacking yeah. her. Like <laughs> she's just letting her truth. Like if there's ever a time to let your truths be yeah, known, she's just like, forget it. I'm like, gonna I'm gonna fight this chick. Yeah. Um, and I like how that is like interspersed between the scene of dad and Josh sitting down and dad telling like a very inappropriate story. And I love how like when um, he's like, oh, is that why mom says she doesn't want to know what went on in the inside of the car? Like, was she talking about the accident? It's like, no, ma, no, no, Josh. They were talking about. I love that because, um, again, like I am that inappropriate dad i will take things a bit too far um but it's such like a wonderful sweet moment but it's also there is an undercurrent of like brent is struggling to be a dad he's struggling to be an appropriate Mm -hmm. dad um i love it you know it's like i i really i think josh is a messed up kid too the thing with like feeding the cat in the car or whatever the bird in the car and then like having the gun and playing dirty harry like Josh has some <laughs> Josh has some issues. I mean, I can't yeah, the dirty hairy bit, I don't know. I mean, that's that's what we all that's what everyone in Canada expects. Uh, I don't know if you can speak to that from the that's UK. That's what America is. That's yeah. what we expect all American kids are doing with their like parents' yeah. sons. Um exactly yeah, yeah. It's, they're, they're all Travis Pickles mm-hmm. in, in waiting. Yeah, I was like, oh man, um, typical, typical suburban American <laughs> problem. Yeah. Um, what are we mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, we're chatting about, uh, you know, what I guess I would say is a pretty epic cameo. This movie has a couple of really fun cameos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess thinking about, like, Brian Taylor, it actually makes a lot of sense because he worked on Happy, which is a show I've definitely mentioned on this show before because it's like a show for an audience of one and that audience of one is me. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> My wife love likes Happy. that show, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Because it's the best, uh, but it's not something I recommend to anyone. But also, it's awesome, and you should watch it because it's great. Um, but yeah, Grant Morrison, someone that we mention a lot on this podcast when we talk about Batman, because we talk about Batman very mm-hmm. often, and we've talked about Grant Morrison's Batman very, very often. And uh, so, Grant Morrison wrote Happy, which is a co collab with Brian Tyler, um, and or Taylor, excuse me. And uh, he has a little, or there's the 
Grant Morrison has a cameo in this bit as like the expert on the TV. And I think it's something that probably mm. went pretty unmissed. I don't know if this audience, but I remember being like, oh, no shit when that happened. Um, and then you've also got the like Dr. Oz cameo, which is truly bizarre. Yes. And then even the teacher <laughs> who's like, oh, gosh, what's his name? Um, the guy who plays the teacher, uh, Joseph uh, Reitman, Joseph D. Reitman, I think. Um, not like super famous, very recognizable face, but he's kind of like that guy that's in stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's also in Happy Season 1 as well as, like, the Santa Claus killer You've got the character. little troop. Excellent. Yeah. And, the, and then we, we even get Bokeem uh, Bo- Bo- Woodvine as well. He has, like, that great, like, very, very small, like, cameos. I think he's, again, somebody on the TV kind of uh, talking about, like, uh, he's like a kind of man on the street interview they're mm-hmm. doing, and he's talking about, like, yeah. So it's great to see, like, I don't know, like, I think the power in this film, and I think Brian Taylor has been open about it, is like production value like went on getting the people. And I think it's the people in this, like the cast, that make it such like a special thing. And it's the it's a testament. Like Zach, yeah, uh Zachary Green, like the kid, mm. like or Zachary Arthur, like him and Anne Winter, it's like kids sometimes in like movies can be really annoying, especially younger kids. And like the yeah, the, the uh, Zachary Arthur is like is great, and he kind of is in that catchment age where it's like, uh, and that character as well could be mm-hmm. really really irritating, yeah. but like isn't like, and I think yeah, it's kind of a, a great like I don't know melange of acting mm-hmm. talent to make to make this kind of premise like that for all intents and purposes sounds like something that could have been done on like yeah. black mirror almost yeah. Do you know what i mean it's like a an, a, a, an hour long mm-hmm. episode but like it, it works perfectly at this kind of what hour and 25 yeah. minute well, feature speaking about working perfectly i think what i enjoy there's no resolution to this movie mm-hmm. um you the movie ends with the parents incapacitated but there's no sense that like, oh, this is going to be reversed or that the parents have like worked the anger out of their system. It's like they're simply tied up and they're waiting for their opportunity to strike out at their kids again. That's really it. And mm-hmm. that and it just ends and it ends like kind of like a primal scream by Cage. Um, and it's like it's a pretty frightening ending perfect exercise of restraint i think like (laughs) movies like this spend so much time trying to find the resolution sequels to movies like this spend so much time trying to find the resolution and their explanation we get a little bit of something like the static on the tv which is like somewhat of a suggestion that that's what's setting people off Mm -hmm. but we don't you know we never cut to some government ops trying to figure out the source to like, like there's just nothing. And there's just like no reason to push that far. The only reasonable ending was like something like that, which is a great almost twist on what you expect. Cause otherwise it's just, they kill their kids and it's over. Like, yeah, yeah. I think what's, you you know, do you get that sense at the end of it, that it's brought the family together in this weird and twisted way as well. And I think like having watched, old recently and I won't, I won't talk about the end but you could imagine like the final 15 minutes of that mm-hmm. like happening or something similar to that like a M. Night Shyamalan twist 
to explain everything away in this film, but it, it really doesn't need it. And I think it's the ambiguity yep. of where it's come from and just like the, it could be just a primal thing that has happened in people that makes it far more interesting. Because the movie is not about the larger event. The movie is about this family. Yes. That's like, family, yeah. you know, I like, I really enjoy the quiet place movies. I think they're like fun exercises mm-hmm. in like, genre, like B can't be genre. But it's kind of weird that like you're focusing on this one. This is the family that figures it out. You know, like it, it's really it's about this particular family, how they're reacting to the much larger events. Um, all right. I think we've pretty much hit it on the head. And I know like I it is very late it. where you're at right now, Petrus. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Um... Well, Petrus, where can our listeners find you online? Uh, you can find me on all good podcast platforms by just typing in Caged In Coppola Connections, just because obviously the podcast has evolved into this butterfly of the wider Coppola family tree. Or you can find me on all social media, so uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at Caged In Pod. Where, yeah, I'm always just kind of sharing updates, Nick Cage news. Uh, I'm good. Yeah, uh, depending on when this is going out, like I'm uh, at the moment, I'm, I've got like extensive interviews with loads of people who are involved with the film Pig, mm-hmm. which I've like aptly titled the Caged In Pigcast, where I've talked to like actors, I've talked to one of the writers, and I even talked to the chef who taught Nick Cage wow. how to look like a chef on screen. So, like, yeah, there's there's loads of fun, interesting interviews and, like, just episodes on some of your favourite Nick Cage films, favourite Coppola films, and films that you wouldn't expect and people you wouldn't expect to be somehow tran- tan- transcendentally linked to Nick Cage or the Coppola family uh, I'll just throw one out. Like, I spoke to Sky Elobar from The Greasy Strangler, who plays Braden in that. He, he was like directed in a couple of Nokia commercials by Roman mm. Coppola. So it's like, it's the perfect excuse to talk to that person. And the, yeah, that kind of gives an idea of like, I just find these weird tendrils of people I can speak to. And then I, don't, I, I basically, I'm like Charlie in that episode of. It's always sunny in Philadelphia with the uh, with the pin the pin the pin board yeah the pin board a cigarette hanging out my mouth going so this person's related to this person and this person's worked with that person so yeah if if you want to be a part of that mess meet me in the uh, the mail room of of, of, of social media and I'll be chatting shit. Well, <laughs> thank you so much yeah. for coming on. I really thought it would be important to bring someone on who really understands and appreciates. <laughs> the over because like i said i'm like in this case i am a fan and i will say there are a couple projects like pig i'm looking forward to watching there's another movie he has coming out soon Ghost. That... prisoners of ghostland prisoners of the ghostlands yeah really yeah intriguing mm-hmm. um so i am looking forward to like catching that as well and maybe turning things <laughs> around a little bit um i don't know what else we'll cover from nick cage in the course of this show but i'm sure we'll get to some stuff so thank you so much for joining us so for patrons i will let you know like this episode is it'll be a little different in that it's going to be exclusive i would say for like maybe 90 days but i do want to have like you know for all of our listeners to be able to hear like Petros has taken Nick Cage and maybe even like 
discover his show after the fact as well. So this will go onto our main feed um, probably at the end of this year. Um, but, you know, you guys get it first. So thanks again to our patrons. Thank you for supporting the show. It means a ton to us. Um, we want to say, you know, please spread the word. Let friends know if you're enjoying what we do. Spread the word. Um, you probably already subscribed to us if you're a patron. But if you have not left us a review, if you could take two minutes out of your day, go to Apple iTunes and leave us a rating and a five-star rating and a quick review of the show. It does help us find more listeners. And that's it. Again, thanks for your patronage. I think this was a really fun episode Lindsay, what are your final thoughts i mean i love it and honestly any excuse to rewatch this movie so, so i can we'll like be... hear cage yelling in my head and i'm elated. so we'll be back next month with another bonus show uh and i'm not sure what we're gonna do yet but you know what i'm sure it'll be fantastic take care